Good morning, family of God. Well, hey, first, I want to say thank you to the Lord. We had been praying for God to provide enough finances for a bunch of our people to go to Colorado for a conference, and he did. So they're all on the way to Colorado right now. Can we give thanks to God for that? And uh, God always comes through. Thank you for many of you who gave to help those college kids pay for a trip they could not have paid for so they can go get spiritually refreshed and fed this week. I want to say a quick prayer for them and for us as we get ready to study the word. So if you could bow your heads with me one more time. Our Father, we do want to pause just to say thank you. So many times we're asking you for things that we need, spiritual things, material things, and you are answering our prayers. And your faithfulness just comes at us so fast, it's easy for us to miss the opportunity just to give thanks. So right now we say thank you for providing the finances for all of our college students and young adults that are in Colorado right now. And I pray that you would give them safe travels and that every single one of them would have a life-changing encounter with the living God during this conference. That wounds in their hearts would be healed. They would hear key truths from the scripture that would continue to shape them for years and years to come. Most of all, that they would encounter the person of Jesus in new and deep ways. And as... Those of us who remain here, study your word right now. We ask for help. We know that your word is living and active and true and powerful and life-giving. And sometimes we're more receptive to your word than others. So I ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to make us very receptive this morning. Help Chauncey and I to communicate exactly what you want us to say. And help all of us to hear and be transformed by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to take a second to meditate on Proverbs thirteen twelve, Let's say it together, okay? Y'all repeat after me. Hope deferred, Hope deferred makes, the heart sick, makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled, a desire fulfilled is, a life. is a tree of life. As with so many verses in Proverbs, this is a very simple wisdom principle just describing what life is like. And it's so simple that it would be easy to miss some of the depths of the implications of a verse like this. The basic meaning is clear. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That means sometimes we really want something good and we don't get it and then we feel bad. We might feel sad. We might feel mad. We definitely don't feel glad. Right. So if you're a kid and you really want a bike for Christmas and you ask for it over and over and over and then you get socks, your heart is sick. That's a small example of it. Although actually this may be a big example of it if you're a kid. But. There's many manifestations of this point. And of course, the second half of the verse, but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. If there's some good thing you've been longing for and praying for and working for and then it comes, you're refreshed. The image of the tree of life, of course, is from Genesis. It's from the creation story and it's an image that recurs throughout the scripture. But it's a sense that um, God gives you life and energy for your soul And this is just something, it's an observation about human psychology. If there's something good that we're longing for and we don't get it, we feel mad and sad and bad. And if we do get it, our souls are refreshed and energized. Now, what are the implications of that verse? The first and most important implication is this. Our ultimate hope needs to be in Jesus alone. Because Jesus alone will never, ever disappoint us and make our hearts sick. And there's a lot of scriptures about this. Let me just read to you two of them. 
First John chapter three, verses two and three say this. Beloved, we are God's children now. That's who you are. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you're God's child. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that means when Jesus comes back to the world, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the verses are saying one day, Jesus, the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to heal our souls and set everything right. We are going to see Jesus face to face. Doesn't that sound awesome? That's not just a religious idea. We're going to see it. It's going to happen. And when we see him, the spirit of God is going to do in a work to transform us that will be like him. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a perfect version of yourself? That just sounds awesome to me. No more sin, no more guilt, no more shame, no more fear, no more folly or failure forever because we've become like him. Or you can think about first Peter one, three, uh, 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So our ultimate hope needs to be in Jesus alone and setting our hope fully on that future grace gives us clear heads and healthy hearts to think and act now in the present. That's one implication of Proverbs. But there's more to it. Everybody say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. See, Jesus is our big hope. He's our ultimate hope. But we have lots of little hopes also. And we should. That's part of life. We want our kids to grow up and be healthy and wise and make good decisions. We want our jobs to thrive and flourish and so we can provide for our families and have enough finances to be a blessing, to give to those who are in need. There's all sorts of good things that we want. And we could also call these little hopes expectations. We're talking about that today. So everybody say expectations. expectations. And part of the wisdom of Proverbs 13:12 is learning in life. Not only do we need to have our ultimate hope in Jesus, but in terms of our little hopes, our expectations, it's really helpful to have wise, realistic, Bible-based little hopes rather than foolish, unrealistic expectations that are constantly disappointing us and making our hearts sick. So what would be some examples of this? I mean, just think about when you get a new job or when you get married. It's easy to have unrealistically low or high expectations. If you get a new job, if your expectations are unrealistically low, you're just expecting for it to be miserable and to be treated bad. And if you're going into it like that, then your eyes are usually not going to be open to all the good things around. But also, if you're going into your job thinking, I'm about to be self-actualized, I'm about to be fulfilled, I'm about to make a huge difference in the first week on this job, I'm about to get rich, I'm about to get promoted, I'm probably going to run this company within six months. Guess what? If that's your expectations of your job... Guess what's going to happen in a couple days? Your heart's going to be sick. That's right. You're going to be mad. You're going to be sad. You're not going to be glad. If we go into our marriages and we're expecting this person is going to fulfill all the deep emotional needs of my soul. And our marriage is going to be smooth and fun all the time. We're going to have deep emotional and spiritual and physical intimacy all the time without interruption or frustration. Oh, man, our hearts are going to be sick, right? So resetting our expectations looks like saying, hey, this job is a gift from God. It's an opportunity to express my identity as the image of God, to bring order and peace into the world. And I'm going to get paid so I can take care of my needs. But also it's going to be marked by 
frustration and difficulty and futility like Genesis 3 and the whole book of Ecclesiastes told me. So I just expect that and going into it, I'm going to be trying to get strength and grace from God and give grace to others. Now, that's a healthy expectation, right? And if I go into my marriage thinking this is going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be stressful, but this person is a gift of God to me and I'm a gift of God to them um, so that we can care for each other through the difficulty. Now we got a healthy expectation. You see, when our expectations are unrealistic and then reality sets in, what we usually do is start looking around for who to blame. So if my marriage is hard and I'm struggling, it's probably either my spouse or me or maybe my kids or my parents and I start trying to blame. Does that get you to a healthy headspace? No. So what we're talking about today is the importance of ultimate hope in Jesus and healthy biblical expectations right now. And specifically, we're trying to connect this to the idea of Christian community. What is Christian community supposed to be like? What does the Bible teach of it? What do we expect for a normal, healthy Christian community church life to be like? Are our expectations too low? Are they too high? Are they realistic? Today, we want to talk about resetting healthy biblical expectations for Christian communities so that we can have healthy biblical Christ-centered responses both to the good stuff and the hard stuff that we face in community life. Now, this is really important for us to get. It would be important for us to get regardless, but especially knowing that this past week, both churches voted to, to merge, us and Rancho Village. So if we're walking into this new space in this new gathering of believers, it is really important that we walk into that with healthy expectations, biblical expectations of what community is going to look like. So this passage in Colossians chapter 3 helps us to see the beauty of Christian community while also helping us reset false expectations. Let's read these verses again. Look with me at verses 12 through 14. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to notice some of the beautiful aspects of Christian community that we see in this passage. In this verse, one of the things we see, verse 14, is love. Man, don't you just love, love? <laughs> love is beautiful. It's someone laying down his or her life with their rights and privileges and resources for the good of someone else. And that's a beautiful thing. And Christian community is about love. Everybody say love. Love. Another, another word we see in there is harmony. Could we use some more harmony in our world? Yes, sir. Absolutely. People getting along, people playing their role in a way that complements and beautifies the work of someone else. When you're around someone that is harmonious, people just enjoy being together, right? I mean, it's no fun being around someone who's always disagreeable, someone who's sowing discord. We want harmony. Compassion. There's another word we see in this text. People caring for one another and seeing the needs of others as important. That's really beautiful. Kindness. People demonstrating generosity toward other people and just being considerate of other people. These things are beautiful. And they're what we long for in relationships. If I were to ask you if you want loving, harmonious community where people treat each other with compassion and kindness, would you say yes or no to that? 
I would say a resounding yes. That's exactly what I want. I want to be in a community like that. Wouldn't you want to hang around with people like that? Yes, sir. I mean, I would too. And that's what God says Christian community looks like. But this, there's more in this passage to consider. These verses also alert us to the normal challenges of Christian community. Notice in verse 13, it says, bearing with one another. Now, Paul wouldn't have to give us this exhortation if all the relationships in the community were smooth all the time. If you're having to bear with someone, that means they probably get on your nerves just a little (laughs) bit. Getting along with this person takes a little more patience than you would like to give. You have to put forth effort to demonstrate kindness to this person. Now, look, notice the next phrase. If one has a complaint against the, another, forgiving each other. If you have a complaint against someone and need to forgive them, that means you were wronged. You hear that? You were wronged. There was sin that created an issue between the two of you. There's an offense that needs to be dealt with. And the Bible says, listen to this, that this is a normal part of Christian community this side of heaven. Okay? Healthy Christian community. The Bible isn't naive to the reality of sin. This is why verse 5 tells us to put sin to death. In Christ, we have put off our old self and we have put, put on Christ. But we won't be totally free of that old self stuff until Christ appears and we appear with him in glory. Every one of us is still in the sanctification process. God is making us more like Jesus, but we're not there yet. And John Mark's going to talk a little, more about, a little more about that in just a little bit. Until we see Jesus face to face, we should expect sin to pop up. We'll have complaints against each other that will need to be forgiven. We can expect slander and gossip. Yes, that destroys community and... Yes, we need to be ready to confront it, to confess it, to repent of it, to forgive it. Not when it shows up, but not if it shows up, but, but, but when it shows up. A normal part of healthy Christian community is not only loving each other and being generous to people, but it's reconciling jacked up relationships. Mm-hmm. It's talking through offenses until you arrive at true peace. It's bearing with someone you think is really annoying and showing them compassion Not just outward compassion that will wear off, but compassion from the heart that recognizes, cherishes, and honors the beauty of God that God's made them to be. It's not just not writing people off. It's actually seeing people as family. And what Chauncey is saying is really important. And when it comes to setting our expectations, I mean, one of the implications of what Chauncey said is that sometimes healthy, normal, good Christian community will feel great. And sometimes it'll feel exhausting and difficult. But all of the time, God's grace is at work That's right. That's in both of those. And facing that reality causes us to ask the question, what is the basis of our community? A community is people who have something in common that gives them unity, community, right? So what is the thing that we have in common? What is the basis for our community? And our text makes it so clear, the only answer that can sustain us and that can make community healthy is if the sole basis is one person, Jesus Christ. That's right. Look at verse 11. Look at what it says. Here in this church community, it says, here there is not Greek and Jew, 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, understand what Paul is saying in verse 11. This church community included people who were Greeks and Jews, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. It had all those categories of people. But he said, what is our common unity is none of that stuff. It's not about our affinity. It's not about our culture. It's not about our ethnicity or our uh, political affiliation or our personalities or our interests or our hobbies. The one thing that unites us is Jesus is in all of us. That's right. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save me. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again to save you, which means we are family now. And we all submit to King Jesus together. And Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. And so now because Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you, we say, I'm going to love you and we're going to work together on this. This group of people described in verse 11 in, in the normal flow of life and their culture wouldn't have been forming friendships with each other. They wouldn't have necessarily been thinking of each other as family. They wouldn't have had the opportunity to get to like each other. But what Paul is saying is once you hear the gospel, and you recognize Jesus saved me, Jesus saved you. Now we're family and we've got to learn how to love each other. The practice of loving each other reframes our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we begin to see the beauty that was always there in the other person. Mm -hmm. We learn to appreciate and to enjoy one another as a result of choosing to love in the way that Jesus has called us to love. Now, there's so many implications about this, but one of them is the implication that Paul is emphasizing in the first four verses of our text. If we're going to have healthy community, we've got to keep our eyes focused in the right place. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We've got to be heavenly minded because if we're earthly minded, if we're going into community thinking, how is this going to help me feel good? How is this going to meet my needs? If we're earthly minded, then when we turn into earthly problems, we're going to have earthly reactions to those earthly problems, which is to say we're going to get into a big old fight. and It's going to be ugly. Right. But if we're heavenly minded, then when we run into earthly problems, we have heavenly reactions to earthly problems. So it's not that the earthly problems go away, but now the Holy Spirit of God teaches us to respond in a way that reflects the character of Jesus. Now, probably the the best uh Analysis of the nature of Christian community ever written by a theologian was Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And at the very beginning of that book, he points out there's a real danger that comes of idolizing any positive experience of spiritual community. Some of us had some positive experience of spiritual community in our past. Maybe it was during the Gospel Project or a great church family when we were kids or a college ministry experience or whatever. And we've been trying to get back to that. Some of us have never had it. We've just been dreaming of it. And Bonhoeffer says that's a danger and actually one of the best things we can do is shatter that illusion as quickly as possible. The only basis for spiritual community, he says, is the truth of Jesus Christ. And he warned that when we base our thoughts and desires about community upon some positive experience, real or imagined, remembered or expected in the future, when we do that, then we're likely to begin excluding or despising people who are messing up our fantasy experience. And as we start doing that, before long, we find ourselves excluding people whom Jesus has included. And we find ourselves despising people whom Jesus deeply loves. And Bonhoeffer says, as soon as we do that, we find that we have excluded Jesus from Christian community. So what he's calling us back to is just forsake our idols, forsake our illusion of some 
experience that we want and say the basis for Christian community is nothing other than the truth of the man, Jesus Christ. And every day, he, he says, we shouldn't be taking the temperature of how healthy our community is to see how well it lives up to our expectations of what community ought to be like. Instead, he says, every day, give thanks to God, not for the fantasy community we've imagined, but for the real concrete community he's given us today. And then every day we think, how do I love this real concrete community that I have in front of me today? So he says, quit criticizing. Everybody, let's say this together. Quit criticizing. Quit criticizing. Give thanks. Give thanks. And practice loving. This also means we need to be really thoughtful about how we talk about community. Remember, the church, we are the church, and the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about realistic expectations, I said a second ago, to have a healthy marriage, you shouldn't have fantasy expectations of everything is going to be perfect. But I want to be really clear, I have a good marriage, I have a great marriage, and my wife is awesome. And if I'm going to have realistic expectations about, hey, there's two sinners in my marriage. I'm one of them. My wife is the other one. And there's problems. That's really important and healthy. But if I'm going around talking about, oh, man, my marriage stinks and my wife is blah, blah, blah. and saying all this bad stuff about her. That's not going to lead to a healthy marriage, is it? And as a matter of fact, if you want to be friends with me, you need to talk nice about my wife, too. Right? right. So the church is the bride of who? Christ. The church is Jesus's wife. Would you like to be friends with Jesus? Then talk nice about his bride. You hear what I'm saying? So setting healthy expectations means we got to recognize there's going to be good and bad. There's going to be beautiful. There's going to be ugly. But we will honor the bride of Jesus. I think we need to sit there for a second. We just need to ask Jesus, Lord, where have I been critical had a critical lens to see your church. And let's just repent of that. You know, let's, let's, let's put that off. Yeah? Let's just put that off. If we're trying to get back to some experience of what community was like, which you probably see with rose-colored glasses anyway, like, let's, let's, be, let's be here now. Yeah? Let's be here now. Back to the live stream. Rewind that one. Let's hear that again. In this passage, we see some old self reactions to community challenges that we want to avoid. Okay, so we want to talk about some of those right now. You can see them in verses 8 and 9. Look with me in your bulletin. It says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We can see this as when a challenge comes up in community, this is one way you can respond, different ways you can respond. Well, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but I want to talk about some of the ones that might be temptations specifically where we are right now considering this, this merger with Rancho. Let's start with anger. There are lots of shades of anger, from low-key frustration and annoyance to a hostile aggression and outrage. You're probably going to get annoyed with some people during this process. Mm-hmm. Be real. I find that anger will often produce in me a physical response. I'll notice my jaw is clenched a little bit tighter. My heart is beating a little bit faster than usual. And, and a little something in this part of me tries to do something I can't quite articulate. I find that I'm short with people. I have trouble sympathizing with people. They bring me issues. I don't really care. Kind of get a little cold. 
Anger is an appropriate emotional response to injustice. But often for me, I feel anger when I feel like I'm being controlled. You feel that? I feel anger when I feel like my contribution isn't valued. I feel anger when I'm not getting my way. Now, as we embark on this merger, there's probably going to be a lot of times when you feel like you're being controlled. Probably going to be a lot of times when you feel like your contribution isn't valued. A lot of times when you feel like you're not getting your way or your preferences aren't considered. I've felt that. I'm sure you might have felt that already. If you haven't, you probably will. But as a community, let's decide to believe what it says in James 1, verse 20, which is the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay. And with God's help, let's practice verse James 1.19, which is ask God, God's help to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Let's not let anger fester and become bitterness and resentment that we carry for years or decades. Okay. Let's put it to death. Put it off. So anger is one. Another one that a way to respond would be slander. Slander is speech, here in the context, slander is speech that is damaging to someone else. And we can take, talk about that in two different categories that, um, how we talk about, about dangerous or damaging speech. We could include what we call slander, which is speaking false and harmful things about someone behind their back. Or gossip, which is speaking true but harmful things about someone behind their back without a moral reason to do so. Um, it could be words that ridicule or words that mock someone else. And this is a temptation, especially when relationships are being built and we get to know people. What we want to do is to be a church that is committed to use our speech to build people up, mm-hmm. to edify the body. If someone comes to you to talk about an issue they have with someone else, kindly but firmly encourage them, uh, you should really go talk to that person about your issue. And that will help us really avoid slander. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A third one is lying. We want to avoid deceptive speech or saying things that aren't true. Man, wanting to distort the truth or twist the truth just enough to appear to look good mm. can be a real temptation, especially when you're just developing new relationships. But dishonesty can can create a lot of problems. Jesus wants his church to be united. And a unified church has to be established on the truth. Mm -hmm. And that includes every relationship. Part of being a member of of Christ's church means we live with honesty and integrity before others. That's our relation to value number two. So we want to avoid the temptation to live in the shadows, not live an open and honest life within the community, speak deceptively or say things that aren't true. Now, if we have more time, we can unpack more of these old self-temptations. Let's just commit. With everything on this list in verses 8 and 9, let's commit to put them off. So Chauncey's been talking about old self ways of responding to community challenges that we want to get rid of. And he's about to start talking about something happier, new self things we can put on. But I want to pause right now to ask you to think with me about this question. Okay, we hear the old self list and we want to stop doing it, but how? Anybody ever been like, I wish I had a switch to flip that just said, be extra Christian? <laughs> and I, I sort of like tried during my morning quiet time. Jesus, help me to be extra Christian all day, you know. <laughs> but then 15 minutes later, some people come and start doing some stuff, you know. 
And, and the old self starts coming up. And so if we ask the question, how? How do you put it away? How do you put away the old stuff and start putting on the new stuff? There's a lot to say. But the main thing this passage emphasizes that I want to see right now is by constantly thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ for me. That's how I do it. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, you might circle those words in knowledge. If you go read Colossians 1 and 2, it's clear what Paul is talking about is not knowledge in general. It's not knowledge of mathematics or knowledge of American history. It's knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying is, as you think about the truth that despite the fact that I've done a lot of evil in my life and I got a lot of messed up stuff inside of me still today, God loves me so much that God himself came and bore my weakness and pain and shame on the cross and died for me and rose again so that I could be reconciled to him and that today I need grace from him and that today he gives grace to me. The more you think about that, the more your heart starts changed where it says you're renewed after the image of your creator, which means you become like Jesus Christ, which means you become authentically human because you're made to be an image of God. So you just think about God's grace towards you over and over and over or skip down to verses 12 and 13. Listen to this says put on then as God's chosen one, chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, notice before it gives you a list of good habits to cultivate, it says put it on. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before you start trying to act right, it says, remember, God chose you by grace before you did anything right. Amen. God made you holy before you started trying to act holy. That means by grace, he set you apart in Christ Jesus and sent the Holy Spirit to start working inside of you. You didn't earn it at all. It was pure gift. You're beloved, not because of how well you've performed. You're beloved because God is love. And he's chosen you in Jesus Christ. You're adopted and you have a safe place to dwell. And he says, when you know that's your identity, then it's just a matter of live out of that truth. As a person who knows you're secure in unbreakable love that's going to make you happy in the presence of God forever. Now go deal with the stressful situations of the day. Or skip down to the end of verse 13. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So now I've got to think about the gospel. How has the Lord Jesus forgiven me? Well, he forgave me not begrudgingly, but gladly. He forgave me not once or twice, but a lot of times. He forgave me not for little bitty sins that weren't that big of a deal, but for big sins that deserve judgment in hell. He forgave me not just when it didn't cost him much, but when it cost him everything. And he's saying, as as God in Christ has forgiven me, now learn to just pour out that grace and love on others. So how do we put away the old self and put on the new self that Chauncey's about to talk about it? There's a lot to say, but the main thing to say is fix our minds constantly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, we find the power to put off the old self. And we also find the power to put on the new self. Everybody say, put it on. Put it on. When we face community challenges, we have the resources in Christ to respond with the new self. Now, we've already read verses 12 to 14, but let's look at some of these. Uh, let's look at humility. We have the opportunity to imitate Jesus by giving up our preferences and considering the needs of others above our own. We can guarantee there will be plenty of opportunities to lay down our preferences in order to love people. 
whether it's schedule preferences or music preferences or whatever, we have the opportunity to follow Jesus in laying them down, trusting that we have all that we need in him already. I was so encouraged by our collective response to the Lord's Supper discussion that we had at the members meeting. For years, we've taken the Lord's Supper every week, and it's been really formative for many of us, including me. When we heard that it's been a stumbling block, had the possibility of being a stumbling block to some of our Hispanic brothers and sisters, we laid down our preferences. And now it took work. We had to talk through it. We had to work to be of the same mind. But I really think it's worth it. Don't you? I think it really is worth it. The gospel is worth our humility. In fact, it demands our humility. Meekness. Let's talk about this one. Meekness. Jesus says the meek shall inherit the earth. Domination and harshness are not the mode of operation in Christian community. We don't strong arm people to have our perspective. God's people carry a gentleness about them that is approachable and warm, even as they're strong and committed to the truth. I think about Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We want to be a people of peacemakers who diffuse wrath with our lives. And we bring peace. Patience and forgiveness. Has God been patient with you, fam? Yes. Very patient, more than we deserve. Has he forgiven you a multitude of sins? Yes. And by his spirit, we put to death anger and wrath and malice, and we put on patience and forgiveness. People are going to have different perspectives than you do. People are going to see things through a different cultural lens than you do. People are going to annoy you. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to sin against you. And when they do, God, by his spirit, can give you courage to demonstrate patience and endurance and to be long-suffering in those relationships. He'll help you know how much you've been forgiven and help you forgive those people. And when you do... When you press into community by the power of the Holy Spirit, God has a way of bringing life and joy and even longevity to relationships that you thought had no chance. Some of you are sitting next to people who are close friends, but you who you haven't always seen as a close friend. You feel me? You want to say amen to that? We ain't trying to acknowledge this publicly, brother. I mean, I mean, you know, you can say it in your heart. Some of you are married to people you had to work hard to have relationship with. And it is totally worth it. And this is what putting on the new self can accomplish. As Chauncey was talking, I just felt like the Holy Spirit brought something to mind, which is off script. The thing I was talking about a second ago about believing the gospel, that's not just for dealing with other people's stuff, but it's for dealing with your stuff. Because... As he's talking about the old self and the new self, I'm sitting here feeling both encouraged and convicted. Maybe some of you feel a little convicted. I mean, maybe all of y'all have been hitting everything perfectly for the last few years, but not me. <laughs> and as, I, as I'm hearing this, it's like Satan wants to condemn and the Holy Spirit wants to convict. Do you know the difference between those two things? Satanic condemnation says you have done this and that's who you are, so you might as well quit and give up because there's no hope. The Holy Spirit says, hey, you've done this, but that's not who you are. And I'm here now because I love you and I'm inviting you into something deeper and better. So our flaws and our mistakes and even the ways we've hurt other people do not define us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, that's not my point, though. The next point that is on our thing here is as we're getting ready to close, the first thing we said about how do we put off the old self and put on the new self is think about the gospel. The second thing, though, going back to our Proverbs verse is this. We need to reframe 
unhealthy, unrealistic, unbiblical expectations and replace them with true Bible informed expectations so that we'll quit looking for people to blame and start looking for ways to bless and serve one another. Okay, so we don't want to have expectations of Christian community that are too low where we go around thinking the church is always broken and corrupt and immature. That's not true. The church is always good and beautiful and filled with grace. We also don't want to have expectations that are too high. The church should always be completely loving, harmonious and refreshing. Chauncey's already said that's not accurate. Instead, we need biblical thoughts about both the beauty and the challenges of the church that Jesus has saved and is sanctifying by grace. So I put some here in, in a list just to share with you. And I'm asking that as I share with you some of these thoughts, some reframing thoughts, that the Holy Spirit would help you this week to identify, are there other thoughts in my mind that I just need to recognize, hmm, this needs to be reframed biblically so that I can get a better heart disposition towards relating to my brothers and sisters. Here's one. I'm going to start with one about community group. I got you, community group leaders. Here's an unhelpful expectation. Every time I go to community group, it should feel extremely refreshing. Now, if that's your expectation, you might go two or three weeks in a row and have a tree of life. But then the next week you go and something happens and your heart is sick because it wasn't refreshing. Right. Or you might go three weeks in a row and come home with a sick heart. I don't know. Maybe it depends on your community group or what's going on. But here's a here's a better and more healthy. And, and if you're thinking that way and your heart's sick, now you start looking for what's wrong. Is am I the problem? Is it just that I'm unspiritual is it the other people the problem? Let's blame the community group leader. You know, that kind of thing starts happening in your head. Here, here's a reframed expectation. Every time I go to community group, Jesus is inviting me to give and receive grace. This will sometimes be refreshing, sometimes exhausting, and often both. He's inviting me to give and receive grace. Here's another unhelpful expectation. If our community is healthy, I will never be lonely. If, if I think that, then every time I feel lonely, I start trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Maybe ever, nobody else feels lonely. Or what's wrong with everybody else? Why aren't they meeting my needs? Here's the truth. Genesis, the Bible teaches that post Genesis 3, we're all lonely until heaven. That's right. Because our souls are made to experience perfect union with God. And we'll feel lonely until we experience that. So... A way to reframe this thought would be to say loneliness is part of the human condition until Jesus comes back to heal all our relationships. But in the meantime, God has given me his spirit and the community of disciples to comfort and strengthen one another in the midst of our loneliness. Here's another one. The community is here to meet all of my needs. We always going to be mad at each other. (laughs) We think that, right? Here's the truth. Only God can meet all of our needs, but he gave us each other to be means of grace, to encourage and help each other. Here's another one. In healthy Christian community, here's a false thought. In healthy Christian community, we shouldn't have any broken relationships. We've already seen that's not what Colossians 3 teaches. Here's a better way. In healthy Christian community, we should always be working to reconcile our broken relationships. Here's one. Since we're Christians, we should avoid conflict. That's not true. Here's a here's a better thought. When conflict inevitably happens, we should love one another and ask God to refine us as we speak truth in love in the midst of our conflict. 
Here's an unhealthy thought. Since these people are Christians, I probably won't need to deal with that much sin in this community. How about we reframe it like this? Since we are Christians, we will confront sin in our community in a spirit of love and grace. Here's an unhealthy thought. Now we're talking about merger. By the way, we should just pause. We haven't even celebrated yet. Yeah, we haven't. We in here talking. We already counting the costs over here. <laughs> Can we just pause and say we've been praying about this for a That's year right. and it's awesome that we're going on this venture together? Can That's we clap good. and thank Jesus for That's this? Good. We should have done that at the beginning of the sermon, Jonathan. <laughs> Man, I'm so thankful. I felt yes. so excited. And here's the truth. I really wanted this merger thing to happen. If, if it didn't happen, I was going to be disappointed. Because it did happen, I felt happy. But the next morning when I woke up, I, I told, I think Candace and Chauncey, I feel like watching your kids grow up as they pass from one life stage to another. You get really excited about the next life stage, and then you start thinking about the last one and feeling sad that it's gone. And then you start gearing up. I'm like, oh, this next one's going to have new challenges. That's how I feel right now about our church. So what about expectations for Rancho? Here's an unhealthy expectations. Building friendship with our brothers and sisters of Rancho is going to be fun, fast, and problem-free. That is not a healthy relationship, uh, expectation. How about this? Building friendships with our new church family is going to be a great gift, but it will take lots of time and hard work to receive this gift and steward it. Here's an unhealthy expectation. After this merger, we will instantly, we're instantly going to be extremely effective at all ministry, especially bilingual evangelism. Here's a more healthy expectation. Combining the strengths of our two congregations is going to set us up to be more effective in the future if, by God's grace, we keep learning, listening, and adjusting with humility right now in the short term. So, I'm just giving you a few thoughts that come to my mind, but what I'm encouraging you this week is just ask the Lord to show you what are some unhealthy expectations of the community I already have and of the community I'm walking into, and how can I reframe them biblically so that I'll be better set up to treat people with grace and love moving forward. As we close and prepare to celebrate communion together, we remember that the one body of Christ makes us one. Amen. His death provided for us the way of peace. And in light of that reality, let's remember that every beautiful thing we experience in God's church is an opportunity for thanksgiving and joyful worship. And we should not neglect to thank God for it and celebrate together. And every challenge we face in God's church is an opportunity to know Jesus better and become more like him. Every single opportunity, every single challenge. We give thanks for the beautiful aspects of the community of Jesus followers, and we press into the challenges knowing that the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself strengthen and establish us. So over the next few months, let's keep reminding each other of God's grace to lean into his good purposes for our community. Please bow your heads as we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for being a good God who loves us and who showers us with grace. A God with whom your mercies are new every morning. I pray for myself and for my friends. God, help us to constantly meditate on the grace that is ours in Christ. Renew us in knowledge after the image of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to put off these old things, 
to put on these new things in Christ. And I just pray. I'm just I'm excited, Lord, about the possibilities of each of us becoming more of who you've made us to be and then walking in that together. Ideally, if it would please you for decades to come, Lord, make us more like Jesus. Raise us to maturity, to be, to be, to be a mature people for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.